This is the EPLOG audio experience. Film is clearly a sophisticated art, possibly the most important art of the 20th century with a rather complex history of theory and practice, writes James Monaco in his book How to Read a Film. So far in our podcast, The Artists, we have had filmmakers, writers, critics, programmers from some of the top film festivals, musicians, thinkers, defining their combinatorial skills. We at Metaphysical Lab have been striving to expand the realm of our podcast, which in turn gives a wider uh, canvas to the understanding of our experiences. And also we have tied up with Epilog Media, the podcasting network, so you can find us on their website, Epilog Media the artists and of course you can continue to listen to us on the platforms that you choose from apple Podcasts to spotify to geosavon to google podcast everything is mentioned in the description and of course you can reach us uh, on the whatsapp number and our email id i'm your host suchita and i'm looking forward to a wonderful journey ahead with all of you Producing, budgeting, marketing and recovery of your indie film. In the 51st episode of our podcast, The Artist, we talk about producing as a specialized skill not to be taken for granted. It is beyond raising finances. A complete lack of indie producers in Mumbai, but if you open your eyes, you're going to find a whole set of passionate producers sitting outside the city in different states. Building trust and relationship between a director and producer, it is as much of a skill as you move forward in the journey it's almost like a second marriage and we talk about the price points of selling your film if it is with a festival or if it's without a festival and how covid is going to affect the selling of a film hi guys welcome 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 and of course i am extremely elated to share this with you and of course we've been like tom toming about it on social media as well saying that we are featured on apple Podcasts. so go check us out and also do not forget to rate us so we can work around our podcast better also we have uh, just touched a milestone 50 episodes half a century and that too in a completely indie production without any external support it's like being bootstrapped so thanks to our listeners thanks to our guests for being a part of this podcast and it gives me immense pleasure to welcome the guests for this episode Srihari Sate Srihari Sate is a New York based director and producer Sate most recently won the 2019 Film Independent Spirit Award which is a producer's award and his credits as producer slash co-producer includes uh, Pervertigo, It Felt Like Love, Beach Rats, Sunrise, Duktar, Screwdriver, The Sweet Requiem, among other things. Uh, go check that out on IMDb. And his own feature directorial debut, Thousand Rupee Notes, received over 30 awards and is currently playing on Netflix. Go watch. His latest production, which is Slow Machine, premiered at 2020 International Film Festival Rotterdam and he has received fellowships from the HFPA, PGA, Transatlantic Partners, IFP, Film Independent and the Sundance 
Institute to name a few and in 2016 Shri Arisate received the Cineries Producers Award as well and he's currently also an adjunct associate professor and a senior production advisor at the Columbia University's School of the Arts and which is like quite a handful so guys please help me welcoming Shri Arisate Hi Shriyari, welcome to our podcast, The Artists, and uh, good morning. Uh, how's it going there? Good morning. Uh, good. Yeah, it's a nice sunny day. So happy to be talking to you. Shri, I mean, I was, uh, you know, as we were talking yesterday, and I was sort of wondering, you've done your master's in producing, and I'm like, wow. And you've also won the 2019 Independent Spirit Awards. So... Tell me, Shriyari, in terms of producing, or when you did your master's, uh, what was it uh, that you specifically went through in terms of acquiring the skill sets of producing? Because I feel specifically in India, producing is not considered a specialized job. A master's in producing, what it covers is you primarily look at how to, all aspects of production, basically. One mm-hmm. is... the line production strand which is how to line produce a film which means how to get uh, how to have the script break it down make a schedule make a budget um kind of correspond with the with the director and figure out how many uh scenes you can shoot per day and also look at putting the teams together for the film which is um putting a uh, bringing your cinematographer on board or a costume designer casting director makeup artist just making sure that the team gels together because one of the things is that as you're working on film together you need to make sure that all the personalities are compatible because if even if two people are not compatible with the other people it might slow down the production or there might be some friction or a huge taste of opinion or working styles might be too different so one of the jobs that the line producer does is also the casting of the crew just like you cast the the actors on screen you also cast the behind the scenes the the entire crew and that's one of the responsibilities of the uh, of the line producer in conjunction with the director and the the other producer so the the producing program that i did kind of covered some of those aspects as well and then on the other side you're looking at how to set up a film how to develop a story or a screenplay with a writer how to identify films um uh, stories or books or articles that can be adapted into uh features how to acquire those rights um then the other aspect that we we studied it was marketing and distribution of film which uh rapidly changes i mean what i learned uh, almost 15 years ago is now quite different mm-hmm. than <laughs> yeah uh what it is now so you've got to have to constantly keep adapting um as a producer to understand what is the current place the current marketplace support and what the current marketplace demand and the i guess the other thing important thing is how to collaborate how to successfully collaborate how to give constructive feedback yeah. to the writer to the director to continue to make the film better ultimately every conversation or every meeting that you have is to serve the film to serve the film to make it the story better and better to make the film ultimately as best as you possibly can because no one really sets out to make a film and say hey i'm going to make a bad film right everyone mm-hmm. says i want to make the best film possible so how do you as a team um 
achieve that goal and and the producer is one of the driving forces behind that because they kind of set the tone for collaboration they set the tone for the pace of how fast things should move and, and uh, putting a film together yeah producers raise financing that is one aspect of the job but it's just one aspect of the job there's a lot of other things that go into play that that a producer brings to a project one of the earlier episodes i was talking to one of the directors and Uh, we actually felt and everyone feels out here is that uh, because because you are based in new york it it could be like the situation here is very different in terms of you can actually count the number of uh, producers who you can trust and you can take your work mm-hmm. to you know uh, visibus if i actually go to new york or la i'm going to find so many of them who are you know whom i can actually trust and you know with your work that that's the most important thing mm-hmm. as a collaboration between director and producer you can and you must be able to trust the producer whom you are sort of collaborating with like you said set the tone for collaboration so so sri if have you ever sort of analyzed this i mean in terms of the indian market because you're an indian and i'm, I'm sure you're connected to a lot of indian uh you know people out here do you, Uh, have you ever analyzed this or anyone has actually told you or about this about this thing that we do not have many independent producers in india yeah i mean I, so i used to come to uh, film bazaar that uh, nfdc puts um in goa every year that's yeah. alongside the international film festival of india and from 2008 onwards i i came every year for many years i think I came for maybe five or six consecutive years, and then after that, I came every other year. And I met a lot of great independent producers who are based in India, not necessarily just in Bombay, but based in India, in in Cochin, in Calcutta, in Delhi, and uh, Bangalore. And there is definitely a a want and a desire to make independent films. And I met a lot more filmmakers. I met a lot more writers and directors mm. than than producers. uh during that time and i think the idea of trust um is very crucial to filmmaking mm-hmm. and and trusting the other party and i feel like maybe some people got burned along the way by someone and and had their guards up mm-hmm. and i think that's maybe does i wouldn't say completely stops collaboration but maybe slows down collaboration a little bit mm-hmm. but there are a great group of independent producers in india who who i would love to collaborate with you know and i'm already collaborating with a with a couple on on different projects over the years mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's a very successful collaboration for me even though i'm like based in new york i still have my production company in mumbai and i'm continuing to develop projects in india i think as i mentioned to you yesterday i yeah. in 2017 i i produced a feature uh, called sweet requiem with ritu sarin and tenzing sonam it's a tibetan language film mm-hmm. that was entirely filmed in delhi and in ladakh so it was very much indian production um and it was really a great experience working working on the project and i made some new friends along the way on that film and and i hope to continue working with a lot of them mm-hmm. So when we when you are collaborating with someone in India for example uh in Mumbai what is it that you look for in a collaboration when two people from two different countries come together to produce a work I think one of the main things is the pursuit of a common goal mm-hmm. is the idea to make the same film 
so that you're not <laughs> making two different films and constantly butting heads. Yeah. So the idea is the pursuit of trying to make the same movie and, and like-mindedness, you know, across the board. Um, for me, when I'm seeking producing partners, a lot of times I'm seeking a producing partner who will complement my skill set and not bring the same skill set as me. Because I know I have certain skill sets, I know I need help on certain things, so I try to fill those gaps with bringing someone like-minded on board who is good at those skill sets. And that's, I think that's quite crucial. It's it's very hard to produce a film. Um, yeah. It might seem easy, but filmmaking is a very, very tough job and it has a lot of moving parts. And I think especially in the time of coronavirus now, it's gotten even harder. And you have to be very diligent and, and uh, be very safe. And I think there, there's a lot of responsibility on a producer's shoulder or on a director's shoulder to make sure that your cast and crew members are now safe. And I mean, that was always the case, but yeah. now with coronavirus, with an unknown sort of virus that uh, people don't know how someone might catch it, you have to be very diligent and, and set the tone again, set the tone of how the production should be run. Mm. Uh, so being, being here in New York, I feel like it opens me up a little bit more to the international filmmaking space. Mm-hmm. Um, versus uh, being in Mumbai a lot. And it's allowed me to work on uh, non-Indian projects as well. And that's one of the things that I do. I work on both Indian and other South Asian projects, but I also work on American films or European projects. And and being here allows me to do that and have access to to writers and directors who are not Indian um, and, and continue exploring stories from different parts of the world. Hmm. Tell me, Sri, you're also a director, and uh, the film that you made is actually uh, bought by one of the top uh, uh, sales uh, distribution agents, uh, Kino Lober. So tell me, in terms of being a director, I was actually asking this question to another another director in the earlier episode. He said that when I produce for other people, I constantly, you know, there's a creativity clash because I inevitably bring my creative skills there so when you uh, Shriari when you are pr- producing and you are director yourself do you see that you know you when you become the bounce board um, is, is it just do you see any form of a clash happening with the director I mean how do you balance that aspect um, I mean I'm uh, a producer who is, uh, is pretty um, hands-on Mm. both on the creative and on the business elements. So I wouldn't say there are clashes, but there are conversations, you know. it's. Okay. Uh, mm. I, I think I I choose to look at it from a very positive point of view, mm. and that's one of the things that that I uh, discuss with the, with the writer or director as we start setting out to collaborate. There are clear expectations of what this relationship should be, and mm-hmm. if there are disagreements, how do we work through them? And that's a conversation I like to have fairly early on mm-hmm. uh, because there shouldn't be any surprises. But filmmaking takes a while. Like some movies take, I mean, some of my movies have taken seven, eight years to get made, mm-hmm. you know? So it's kind of a, in some ways, a second marriage yes. uh, to to the director of that particular film. Yes. And so it's, it's very important to set these expectations and also in case of disagreements, how do you proceed forward? Having that framework in place very early on on help so I mean there are times when I mean being as you mentioned being a director like I'm I have my creative say as well but I also understand that ultimately the the film 
is the director's vision, and that's why they're the director. I, as a producer, am in service of that vision. So mm. the, the by in service of that vision doesn't mean that I'm just going to accept any answer that the director gives me. She can she can give me an answer, but I have to feel convinced by it. Or he can give me an answer, and I have to be convinced by it. And, and if I'm convinced, I'm happy. I'm like happy that you convinced me. I think this is the right way to go, and I agree with you. Or if I'm not happy, I need to have a, a cogent and a constructive counter argument or a counter proposal as to why it should be this way, and explain it. And then, if the the director or she or he agrees, then great. If they don't agree, then I we need to continue talking and and mm -hmm. until one or the other party is convinced. Right. So. If you're working with someone, do you work with people absolutely new, like you do not know them at all, and then you sort of you're building up the relationship? Uh, has he has uh, has it happened, or do you mostly know people when you work with them? Uh, I mean, it's it's hard because I mean there are so many. I've worked with a lot of first-time yeah. writers and directors, mm -hmm. so some of them I've met through mutual introductions. Some of them I've uh, met at an event or a film festival and we've gotten to know each other a couple of times and, and then decided to do it. But yeah, sure, I've worked on projects where uh, I've, after a couple of meetings, I've said, I want to do this and let's figure out how to do it. Um, and then gotten to know the person better through the process of working on the film. So yeah, it just really depends. I mean, I'll give you an example. I uh, Ritu Surin and Tenzin Sonam, the directors of The Sweet Requiem, yeah. I met them at a party at Film Bazaar. You know, mm -hmm. we met on the last night of the bazaar, and we got talking. And I liked the project, uh, the, what they wanted to do. I liked their vision. I liked their personalities, and I saw that I could be friends with them and collaborate with them. So, I I kept in touch, and and as soon as like we felt that the project was was workable, we decided to collaborate and do the film together. How do you build trust? Uh, you know, when you're actually talking. Uh, sitting across the table and I'm sure there might be a lot of, uh, you know, many times you're not agreeing uh, with the things the other person is saying. How do you guys sort of, you know, go there and build it and see it doesn't break? I think a lot of it is, is gut feeling. It, hmm. You have to have the gut feeling that this other person who is sitting across from you is being as honest as they can or they're being as genuine and truthful. And I think if you as a, as a producer or a filmmaker can bring that to the table, I think it's more than half the battle won in the trust relationship. Mm. Um, it is the idea of being personable. It is the idea of, of looking someone in the eye and literally smiling. I mean, some people might be able to pull that off even when they're lying, but it's pretty hard to to convince someone that you are genuine if you're not. And I feel being genuine and being honest really helps the relationship and being straightforward. If you cannot do it, say you cannot do it. Don't say, uh, like, chalta hai, <laughs> like, just be straightforward. I mean, that's one of the things that I, I really enjoy doing is that if I don't feel that I cannot do it, I just say, hey, it's not possible for me. or it's, or I try to come up with an answer saying, hey, it's not possible for me, but we can bring this other person on board and they might be able to do it. Just something, some, coming up with some kind of solution that, that helps move it along, move the project along forward in, in some ways. But I think being straightforward and specific 
along with being genuine and honest, I think really helps in building trust with, with your collaborator. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me, Shreyavi, in terms of strategizing the film, so of course you've done the production bit and you guys have made the film. So when it comes to selling and strategizing the film, of course the producer plays a huge role there, that how are we going to take this project forward? Uh, any examples, any anecdotes, how you guys planning in terms of, I don't know if, if, if you want to talk anything about No Land's Man, if you want to talk about Sunrise or uh, the Sweet Requiem. So, I mean, I think one of the main things is, again, at the, at the start of the film, the project, it's important to have a, a conversation about the goals of the project mm-hmm. with, uh, with, the, with the director primarily and the other producers, if there are other producers. So a couple of things that I like to discuss is what is what is the goal of this film? One, is it to make you famous? Mm-hmm. Two, is it to make you a lot of make everyone a lot of money? Mm-hmm. Three, is it so that you get some critical acclaim or launch at a film festival, and it helps you set up the next film? Mm-hmm. So that's another goal. So we just try to identify these goals, even if we say this is the primary goal. Uh, let's say the making my second film my next film is the primary goal then what can be the secondary goal and having these kind of conversations with the people investing because they need to know as well you know what is why are you making this film so on from the business side but also creatively why are you making this film a lot of my films have social issues at the at the core of the story even though they they are not documentaries or they are not non-fiction films they are very much fiction films, but the social issue is kind of woven through the narrative. So there are a lot of times when when I, people I'm collaborating with, like the directors, they say, yes, I want uh, to uh, help make my sec- next film, but I also want to get this social message across about this this particular thing that's happening in, in my society or in my region. And that's a goal, you know, getting the message across is, is a goal. Um, I mean, just to give you an example, in, in Dukhtar, which is the Urdu Pashto language film that I co-produced, it was about um, uh, child marriage. And mm-hmm. that was one of the intentions that the director wanted to highlight. She wanted to highlight how bad child marriage can be for, for a kid and, and the love a mother might display in order to protect her child. And that was one of the, the goals of the film was to help her make her second film get it as much wide distribution as possible in order to highlight this underlying social issue. Similar thing with uh, uh, with with Sunrise was child trafficking um, that that dealt it, uh, on that subject in a, in a, a specific genre model and that was one of the the goals of the director to to showcase that what is happening in the child trafficking uh, kind of industry and how uh, how young kids are, are are being kidnapped or moved from from place to place. I mean, even, even with uh, the Sweet Requiem, we were looking at a Tibetan refugee living in India. What happens to these kids once they have escaped Tibet and come to India somewhere in Delhi or in Dharamsala or in Bangalore? And how what happens to their lives after that? You know, because the idea of trauma Childhood trauma needs to be explored when someone is an adult, and that's one of the things that the the film explores. Um, so it's it's just that every film has a, a different goal. It's important to identify what that goal or those goals 
are going to be very early on mm -hmm. and then working towards those goals I think is very important. That's why it's important to have these conversations early on because then you are all on the same page. Mm -hmm. If you have this conversation once the film is ready, <laughs> then you made the film, but everyone's on a, try, trying to get different things out of the movie. Right. And what what about in terms of the recovery model? Do you do you analyze that that this is the money that we are raising, we are putting in it and uh, these are the places that uh, you know we can possibly recover? Uh, the money from yeah of course I, I think that's also kind of important to know for as a producer is to uh, try to identify what is the correct price point you can make the film at I mean ultimately yeah. it is a business so people have to recoup their money even if it's all of their money a lot more than what they invested or even some a little bit of it there has to be some some level of recoupment possible so it's very important to understand what is a, a good price point, good budget to make your film at. Like for instance, for a film that I know should be made for a million and a half or two million dollars, I don't want to go and make the movie for 10 million just because I can raise the 10 million to make the film, especially if I know the movie is only going to recoup a couple or two to three million. It's not fiscally responsible of me to, to make a film at an egregious budget when I know recoupment is not possible. So I think it's just important to understand what are the revenue streams, what is the marketplace seeking, what are the different avenues. I mean, as I mentioned earlier in our conversation, the marketplace is changing rapidly. I mean, especially now, in the last one year, things have, have changed quite a bit. And now with coronavirus and the theaters being shut down in most cities uh, in the world, um, what is the way forward? And I feel like everyone is kind of semi going back to the drawing board because things are have definitely evolved quite a bit and as independent directors and independent producers we have to be cognizant of that um, a lot of first and second time filmmakers say i have to release my movie in the theater hmm. and now it's more and more difficult you know so you have to manage those expectations and, and understand is if that's your goal then only 10 people might see the film but if we figure out a way to get it on TV or a streaming platform, then hundreds of thousands of people might be able to see it. So it's just a question of of having these conversations fairly early on. That's one of the things I do like to ask my my directors. Do you want this film to premiere at a major film festival and have a theatrical release, or do you want to make the film and get it out as soon as possible with uh, so that most people can see it? Uh, what are pre-sales? Do you guys try and do pre-sales? Do you think that works in today's times? Or in any time, did it work? Yeah, pre-sales typically work with well-known actors. It's mm. primarily actor-driven, and mm. in some cases it might be director-driven. If, uh, if a director is a genre director, if they're making a horror or a com straight-up comedy or their previous film was successful, there's a, a good way to make some pre-sales, but pre-sales are getting harder and harder, or the value of a presale is uh, is getting lower because people are a little purse tight nowadays in terms of making presales. So they might give you a little less money uh, in a presale compared to what they might have given you uh, once the film is fully finished. Um, but it's a risk that a producer is taking. So there are there are people who finance films through presales or minimum guarantees and equity and uh, tax rebates. Or there are, there are producers who will finance it entirely on equity and then take, take the chance in, in the distribution market. So pre-sales do work. I mean, a lot of movies are made by pre-sales. Um, I think uh, it's more common in 
English language films with well-known actors um, mm -hmm. who have had a track record or if a distributor had distributed uh, a film with that actor or actress previously and was very successful for them, they might be willing to jump in uh, with on just the script stage before the movie is made. Mm -hmm. In India, it's, I think my understanding is mostly in, in Hindi films and maybe Tamil, where a pre-sale right. or um, right. rights acquisition happen before the movie is made. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you but see... Film, yeah. it's very hard. But in the film, it's very hard. Right, right. Uh, do you see in terms of... Uh, the festivals now if, if a film travels to festivals and uh, a lot of festivals but you know maybe they're not the big ones like they're not the Cannes and the Berlins do you think it impacts in the current situation do you think a festival impacts the selling price of a film uh, I think it's, it always has in, in some ways. It, mm -hmm. again, depends on if it is a, a genre film or not. Uh, mm -hmm. A genre film, which is like a horror film or um, a very stylized thriller, can have its own marketplace. It might not need to premiere at Cannes or Berlin or Sundance. Yeah. And it can premiere at another genre festival or not even premiere at a festival and go straight to distribution. Right. But with a more independently or what we call art house or smart house film, I think the festival launch is, is quite crucial because it gives validity to the film, uh, saying, hey, we have this stamp of, of creative approval from the, some of the top festivals in the world, and, and this is why you should look at the film, especially if the film has um, lesser-known actors or people who are not big stars or even with a star, a, a new director. And I think festivals are very, very important um, kind of pipeline of the distribution space. Um, it really helps open uh, open the film up to a lot of different kinds of audiences, different kinds of markets. And a lot of my films have, have started their journey at, at film festivals and, and really found an audience or um, helped with distribution of, of those titles. Mm -hmm. But what if it starts this journey from like not a sort of considered quote-unquote the big festivals what if starts this journey from smaller festivals does that affect the price point uh yeah i think so i mean it might affect i mean there are like seven or eight major major festivals that are yeah. considered like uh, market launch festivals or festivals that kind of launch your film yeah so most most filmmakers do try to buy one of these major festivals to start their journey but that doesn't mean that you cannot sell a film if you haven't uh, premiered the film at one of these festivals. There are films who have premiered at more regional or country-specific festivals and still gone on to get distribution and, and been out in the marketplace. I mean, I'll give you just a quick example of my own film, Thousand Rupee Note, which we the, the film released theatrically in uh, May 2019, uh, 2014 in India. Um, oh. And it played in the theaters for a, a few weeks. Right. And as with most most indie films in India, they get out of the theaters in two to three weeks, and so did we. So at that point, we were uh, I was already submitting the, the film to film festivals, and we got accepted into IFI mm -hmm. uh, in India and mm -hmm. Mill Valley Film Festival in the U.S. So my uh, international premiere, which is basic, basically the premiere outside the home country of the film, was Mill Valley Film Festival, and I started my journey on the festival circuit about six months after my movie had already theatrically released in one country, which is India, the home country of the film. Uh, so we, the, the, the 
festival journey really picked up again when the film won won the silver peacocks at um, at Ify, including the um, Centenary Award, which helped get it a little bit more traction at other film festivals in India and at film societies. And with Mill Valley, I launched the film in the U.S. and then continued to play the festival circuit for about a year and a half after uh, after the uh, the initial festival premiere in October of 2014. Mm-hmm. So there are ways to, and then we we sold the film, um, licensed the film to Kino Larber and Netflix. Um, once we were well through our way in the festival circuit, so there there is a way to do that. It just it takes a while mm-hmm. uh, because you have to have the connections and the relationships with sales agents and distributors to bring the film out. Most in most cases, you do want to bring the sales agent on board. Uh, before your festival premiere so that they can maximize um, the visibility of the film. I'm often asked this question, uh, you know, by the listeners that, you know, what should be the budget of my film? And uh, a couple of times I just told them that just put in the money that you can afford to lose. And that's the answer that they don't want to hear. So tell me, Shriari, in terms of when you're budgeting your film, what's the cap that we can put for like you know for someone making a film in india for example like a a million dollars might still be on a higher side for someone who's making an indie in india there has to be a path to recoupability either entire recoup Mm -hmm. uh, recoupment of the the budget or partial or more Mm -hmm. depending on how successful the film can be or who is who who is acting in the film uh, in India, mm-hmm. still a lot of it is dependent on who is in your film uh, in terms of the marketplace. So yes. the budget really gets kind of defined by that. But I mean, just to give you an example, if a movie is a million dollars, which is seven and a half crore rupees, I wouldn't mm-hmm. want to pay an actor seven crores of the seven and a half crores to make the movie because <laughs> no, I can't make the movie then. Yeah. So it's just understanding those metrics and, and working out what is financially possible i mean again looking at the language that your film is in as well identifying okay what is the path to recoupability if i make my movie in bengali or if i make my movie in telugu or tulu or marathi can i get widespread distribution in all of india probably not can i get distribution in one state okay how does that look like how many theaters can the movie come out of? what kind of streaming platform might be interested in the film so having these business level discussions with with your producing partners or with if you don't know it ask other people you know hey i'm trying to make this film for two crores do you think i can if there's a path to recoupability asking someone who is a bit more experienced never hurts you know and i think there is there is a the desire to make a film successful which means if a film is successful either creatively in its uh, accolades or financially successful, the investors might be more likely to come back and work with you on your next film. The the more investors get burnt on a film where the director or the producers are dishonest as to if there's recoupability or not, the less those investors are likely to come back and invest in another project. So that's just, mm-hmm. it ruins it for the rest of us, you know, if a, if a director mm-hmm. or producer is dishonest about recoupability. So I think a lot of people do have the intention, the right intention, and they want to make sure that investors continue to invest in film, um, particularly in independent film, because that's sort of the only way to make independent movies right now. Right. 
but with this content proliferation you see content like by the minute micro minute microsecond that has that affected the selling and distribution price of the content what do you see someone just told me that the value of a new film is just 6 months uh, is just 3 months and that's it uh i mean it, it kind of depends on again what language your movie is in i've made movies in um uh, many different languages like tibetan marathi urdu arabic uh english um and it just depends on what's your marketplace and what kind of what genre and what kind of movie you're making i mean there are films the the moment your film has had its first public exhibition be it um at a film festival or theatrical release the clock starts ticking and yeah depend the the life of the film then depends on how many marketplaces you are in it's usually about 6 months to a year before you need to really figure out how to get the film out if you still haven't gotten distribution um or even made a distribution deal the film necessarily doesn't have to come out in those 6 to 12 months but you have to have some kind of distribution pathway charted uh before the 12 months are up because that's kind of after 12 months the films it it's not fresh anymore because there's new content already available and and ready to yeah. take to take the place so it's kind of important to know that once your film has had its first public screening your clock starts ticking and you have about a year to to get the film out right and in terms of the language how does it impact now suppose you're making a film in english versus you're making a film in a marathi or a tibetan language does that affect the selling price did you face anything like that uh yeah it, uh, it definitely affects the selling price because see if i make a movie in marathi telugu tamil bengali or any other indian language right outside of india it's, mm. still, it's just considered an indian film it's not considered a film in marathi or a film in in tamil or, or malayalam it's considered an indian independent film so there's a certain marketplace for that and uh within india of course there are different states and different states have their own uh requirements and um marketplaces for uh for each language but outside of outside of india is just an indian film so there is a limited market for non hindi mainstream language films um and for english the marketplace is slightly bigger because of the, sort of the dominance of hollywood in the rest of the world in some ways so even if your film is not hollywood there are more countries looking towards the american film industry than they are say looking towards independent films out of india uh so the the there is a slightly bigger marketplace um for english language so if you if you if you if you're making a film in english that becomes a bigger market than if you're making your film in a marathi uh slightly yeah i would say that but i mean yeah. again the mm-hmm. the the budgets also might vary because the cost of making a film in the us might be much higher than it is in india so it's it's relative you know at that point am i making a movie for a million dollars in india with a set marketplace in mind or am i making the same movie in english at 2 and 1/2 million dollars with the same marketplace in mind so it's it becomes relative at that point mhm do you see any changes in terms of the sales and distribution uh during the covid and post the covid yeah absolutely i think a lot of films are uh might be going straight to streaming instead of going the yeah. traditional sort of the platform route of theatrical then uh premium VOD and then streaming or television i think some of them might go straight to television or straight to streaming and and mm-hmm. it just depends on what the the producers and the filmmakers want to open up and 
And now theaters are opening up in some countries, and Venice Film Festival is actually happening in person. So is Toronto, part of Toronto Film Festival happening in person. So there is some sense of things uh, going back to the in-person experience a little bit. And those filmmakers are saying, hey, I'm just willing to wait it out a little bit. And that's that's totally fine, too. So it just depends on, again, as I mentioned, having that conversation with your with your team and your financiers saying, hey, are you guys on board for this? You know, any parting words with No Lands Man? I'm so waiting to see the film. Uh, we are in post-production on, on the film. Uh, uh, things slowed down a little bit on post-production because of, uh, of um, COVID-19. Farouki is in Dhaka, our editor is in Dhaka. I'm here in New York. And and because of co- different quarantine rules, the, the editing has, has took a little longer because with the Eid holiday, our editor had to go home for the holidays and had to quarantine 14 days on each side and things oh got a little yeah. delayed. But I mean, we're... But the film's looking really, really good. It's, I'm very, very proud of it and, and excited to to uh, bring it out into the world. It's Farouki's first film in English language, and uh, I really am looking forward for people to see it. Awesome, awesome. All the best for that. And thank you so much, Shriyari, for your time and joining us for the conversation. My pleasure. So that's it folks. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and hopefully it answers your questions on how much should be the budget of your film and if still not then of course you can ping us and you know tell us more about your experiences on budgeting and producing your own work uh, or the producers that you're looking out for. Next week we're going to be talking about some acting skills so stay tuned and it's just not for actors it is for everyone in the field of making films uh, and making other art forms as well so that's it and i'm gonna leave you with this quote which says that if you want the rainbow you gotta put up with the rain take care have a great weekend and stay well